Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. afternoon. Good afternoon. This is um, Bethel J, and this is Sacred Places Radio here on the Blake Radio Network with Rainbow Soul. Thank you for joining us. It is 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, 5 p.m., that's Eastern Standard. I'm broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York, and I thank you for joining me here on this Sunday, April 29th. It is... um, I don't want to use the word auspicious, because, but it's an interesting day. It's a day um, that the Scorpio full moon um, the, it is completely full today. So emotions are heightened, feelings of, I don't know if there's a term of moon drunk, but I feel like that is something that can happen um, during certain moons, depending on how they aspect your chart. Um, are heavier than others, but this is certainly a day of lots of energy, receiving a lot of energy, being open to all of the energy within you, and and just um, just uh, the, the fullness of the moon. Um, this is again Sacred Places Radio. I'm Bethel J. and Thank you for joining me. Today uh, I'm having a special broadcast with um, Sam Reynolds um, from an astrologer from, what is the name of the site? Unlock Astrology. Unlock Astrology. I've been on it many of times, but I just had a blank. And he's here live with me, um, so it's going to be great. The energy is going to change, I'm sure, over the time. And we are doing a a special broadcast, an hour and a half. I hope that we get callers in um, to have questions, um, get things answered, get things clarified in regards to astrology and the basic principles of astrology, which are your sun sign, which people are most familiar with, um, their moon sign, as well as their rising. Um, these three aspects um, indicate many things about your personality and how you maneuver and navigate life, through life. Um, But before that, let's take a moment to center ourselves and gather ourselves with a a meditation. Um, Things have been a little bit off um, in regards to my technology, my 
computer completely crashed, so I don't have access to that, so things are not as um, smooth as I would like them to be or familiar as I would like. Um, So I feel a little flustered, a little off balance, a little unprepared, I guess would be a great way to describe it. uh, if you are feeling that way too, if the energies from the week are still very attached to you, you're still mulling over things, events that have happened, um, still maybe making decisions about your path now or where you're headed or where you would like to go with this full moon, bringing illumination to parts of our lives that we might usually not think about, we might usually not explore, we may try to avoid. So as you are mulling over these things, let's just center ourselves and allow those things to be released for now so that we can focus in on the discussion and be present um, for the guidance that will be provided and um, here by Mr. Reynolds. Um If you go ahead, take this time to take a deep breath and release. And another breath. And release. And in this next breath, we will take a deep breath in and we will begin to release from from the bottom of the feet on up. So deep breath in. Allow that breath to travel down all the way through to your knees, your calves, your ankles, your feet, your toes. Wiggle your toes. And breathe out and relax. And allow all of the energy, the complications, the discouragement that it surrounds how you move and where you're moving and what you're going to do next with those feet. Allow that energy to drift into the ground. And another deep breath. And release release the energy in your knees, in your thighs, in your buttocks, in your hips, relaxing those sit bones, relaxing those big muscles, the biggest muscles in our body. And allowing any insecurity, any uneasiness, any any tightness um, in these muscles to be released. And another deep breath. Relax your energy in your root chakra. Open it up. Relax your stomach. 
And we'll go through the chakras. Your root chakra, your sacral chakra. Relax. And release. Another deep breath. And we're going to release from our solar plexus. And that solar plexus energy all the way around as it wraps around through the back, through the abdomen, through the sides. Deep breath. Release from the heart chakra. Allow expansion and openness here. Let's focus here for a moment. Another deep breath. We will guide that breath into the heart chakra to expand from the heart chakra through the heart chakra. Allowing the expansion of the heart chakra to grow. Let it fill as it releases. Deep breath into the throat chakra. All the words that you wish you said, all the things that you wish you had spoken up for, all of the times that you wish you had said yes, that you wish you had said no, Let those times be released. Let the indecision of your voice, let the indecision of your mind, let's release indecisiveness. And just allow our decisions to come from the place of the heart. So as you breathe in deep again, you're going to connect and feel that connection between your heart chakra and your throat chakra all the way down through the root chakra. Relax your shoulders. Relax your head, relax your arms, relax your hands. Another deep breath in, into the third eye. Focus on the third eye, looking for connection to the community that is listening currently with you, that is here with you now, and the ones that will listen later. The energy always feels very palpable for me, very, I, I can almost touch it. And then a final breath here, and this breath is going to focus on our crown chakra, and opening up and connecting 
with above so that we may act in accordance below. Deep breath. More air. Hold it. Relax in it. And exhale. Thank you so much. You can open your eyes. I am I am satisfied with that moment and with the outcome of that meditation. And I'm ready to go into the tarot lesson and discussion for this week, um, April 29th through May 5th. The energies for this week, the guidance for this week, the the things that you might notice, the actions that might take place and transpire over the week. Um So I lead with the Empress card, and the Empress is, in so many words, the the queen of the deck. It's divine feminine energy. It's mothering energy. It's three. It has to do with community, with two plus one equal, one plus one equaling three in forms of creating life, creating new things. Um, This is right. Uh, this is right in line with this this full moon. So we are leading into new things, new feminine energy, new creations, new understandings, new guidance from mothering figures, from um, those around us who are older, wiser, sages who understand um things that we haven't yet to come to understand due to lack of experience, knowledge, um, openness. And this, it's, um, I mean, I'm not sure when the last time we had a last light week was. I'm, I I couldn't recall. Um, and the energies of this, this week sort of indicate the continuation of this, this transfer time, this, transient time, this really having to go with what life is throwing at us or what how life is directing us. And I find myself frequently saying, all you can do is put your one foot in front of the other. And I, I was recently reminded, but let it be your best foot. So as we go into this week, um, the other energies, we have two other major arcana cards um, that come up in this reading with the hanged man and the magician. So that is the one and the seven. Um, And in the center of all of that is the queen of wands. So we're looking to make, make magic happen and I don't mean it in the type of way where 
it's just it's making magic happen by understanding from a different perspective, by looking at things, by giving yourself time to reflect on what is magic and what action can you take. Whether you're a man, this is a very, um, it's a it's a half and half. This is a balance of energies, a feminine energy as well as masculine energy. We have the action of the queen of wands, whose action is is thoughtful, whose action comes from understanding nature and understanding her role in this environment. And the magician, who, again, is, is one with nature and using nature and the energies of nature to create and to transform and to make something of nothing. So, and to do this, we have to get through the point of this hangman energy of gaining perspective, taking time to look things over, think about things before we we react, before we make the decisions, seeing all of the or understanding all of the components that exist in our chest, in our cabinet, um, within us, before we decide how we are going to create this magic. Um, but know that with all of these major arcana cards, that once you take the time, once you continue to evaluate where it is that you want to do exploring yourself, this action is going to be big action. You're getting ready. You're making a decision about something big to come um, or about a major point in your in the path that you're headed down. Um, so use this time wisely and I would suggest that you be open to having conversations with other women in your community or women in your community um, who can provide understanding and expansion and direction and or just a reflection point for you to or a sound off point for you to express and say what it is that's going on in your mind out loud to someone. I suggest that you take those opportunities and use them to make the decision, the big decision that's at hand, to make the decision of what action you will be taking, what direction you will be going in in this next quarter of the year of 2018. Um, <laughs> it's going to be big action. I mean, that's just... When I keep bringing with the magician, it's not going to be something light. So be patient with yourself, but reach out. Reach out to those women in your life who you can connect with. Be open to these connections, Uh, these older women who can provide guidance. Okay, with that being said, I am... Happy, excited, um, 
in much gratitude to introduce um, Sam Reynolds, a uh, renowned astrologer. You like that word, renowned? I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. I know. I know. Well, the magician says you're going to take it. So, <laughs> renowned astrologer. I um, It's so interesting. I'll just tell a little backstory about Sam and I and how I came to know Sam. And Because Sam is a big part of how sacred places came to be. Um, I was a fan of Sam's before... Um, before I became a friend of Sam's. Um, and it started with uh, with a radio show, which is so interesting. Well, it started with Twitter. <laughs> like most of Sam's interactions, it started with Twitter and just being um, a follower on his Twitter page. And it was through that, it was like, it was a passion was ignited about astrology through following Sam. And um, then Sam appeared on a radio show, um, and I went and I listened, and he, he said, oh, I'm offering, you know, readings, and that was very exciting. Um, and I had a question. I was moving. I was moving to New York. I was making a huge change in my life for me and my son, and I um, wanted to get some additional guidance. And I had been thinking of moving in September, and Sam advised that um, based on my chart and the transits that were going on at the time, this was back in 2012, I would would be best served to move in October. So I pushed everything back a month, and it was smooth as butter, as they say, for me to move into New York, and that never – I mean, not that that never happened, but that's really the story – for those moving into New York. Um, so through Sam's guidance, through the blessings um, of the move, through the, the blessings of my child, um, things fell into place, and I'm still in the apartment that I moved in five years ago. And then I uh, subsequently, uh, now I'm the biggest fan. Oh, Sam. <laughs> Once Sam, once that move became easy, which is probably one of the most scary things to do, especially as a, a mother with a small child, um, it is just so much gratitude, and there is um, there's a lack. Like I, I, you can't deny the messages, whether you connect with the messages of all astrologers. I don't know is the case, but there's a connection between someone who performs a service and someone who receives it. And once you make that connection with somebody and they're able to understand your chart and, and communicate with you in a way that you understand, that's a, that's a relationship that you don't just ignore. Um, Cause you won't have it with all astrologers and not every astrologer is for everyone. That's why there's so many out there and you never have to worry about being overwhelmed by all of the astrology that's out there because there's going to be only a handful of astrologers, I feel like, that will really resonate with you, that will really be able to speak to your chart um, in a way that, uh, that's of assistance, which is, which is the point, um, a way of guidance. <clears throat> so, and then once I subscribed and Sam was, then he had the Zodiac Lounge. That's how I found out about the Zodiac Lounge. And he invited vendors to come out. And I said, well, I'm not a vendor, but I can bake. 
<laughs> so I baked up a whole batch of cookies and I was at the time I was doing cake pops and I um I was ready to then I signed right up and I uh and then that was it. Once I started vending, I vended at the Zodiac Lounge from there on out in different forms. Um at one point and then it changed from me being a vendor of just desserts and then more for food. And that's when I got to meet all of the healers that that Sam attracts to him, that Sam um, promotes and welcomes um, within the community of the Zodiac Lounge, and also the um, and just the the wonderful spirit. It's something that can't be. I mean, it can be described, but there's an energy that runs through the Zodiac Lounge that is unlike any other. Um, what do they call they call them they call them psychic fairs. Mm-hmm. Um some you know, and there's just a flow and just and it's a place where those who work, the practitioners themselves, can come even though they're working the event, can come to be recharged as well by the good energy that surrounds them. Um so it's definitely a place of eh, a well of wealth, <laughs> a spring um, of revitalization, and experiencing this, and then this just introduced me, opened me up to other people, um, a formed community um, with the 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 sub communities within Zodiac Lounge, and and then I was inspired myself to translate, transfer, um, recreate, um, imitate, um, formulate on my own this energy that can be felt uh, across across the world, around the world um, by simply tapping into your phone or computer um, and listening every week um, and joining me by um, men and women and seers and psychics and astrologers and spiritual coaches and all of these people who come together who help to create a world that is more in harmony than it is now. And and so it's 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 with Sam, it's the it's you know, he was a big part of the inspiration for the show and and for me moving here <laughs> and for um the other things um and the the people that I now consider friends, I'm pretty sure that um the astrologer Carmen he paired us together, knowing a little bit about our charts. I think that Sam does his magic and is not very boastful about it, but does it behind the scenes, especially if he has an understanding and he has a connection um with you. So that that's my introduction. Wow, that was a great introduction. Was that a great introduction? <laughs> you on speakerphone? Okay. Yeah, let me go on. Um, let me make sure that I'm on speakerphone. I am on speakerphone. All right. Hi, everybody. So. Wow, that was a great introduction. And you know what was really powerful is I've been back to bed um a few times, even last night, and just now I had the moment of feeling like back home. Like I haven't 
even when I've come back, it's like I don't live here anymore. But I had a moment really where I had to have, like, I had to rework my mind, like, oh, I can't just walk around the corner. But that's never, that has not been an issue in over nearly two years. Right. So it's just a testimony to our connection. And as I was tweeting earlier, you know, cancers are like my home sign. And, you know, have you said what your sign is? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I've said it before. Okay. I'm a, definitely a double cancer. Okay, so... I didn't want to out. <laughs> like, oh, well, no. everyone thinks I'm a Scorpio now. Thanks, Sam. Um, no, I know, but yeah, I mean, it's um, you, you really, you know, and you have also been instrumental, you know, to the Zodiac Lounge in terms of the food and the energy, um, and especially like my birthday. Oh, that I cake. know. Oh, that, was, that was wonderful. That was, that was a that was a, one of the one of the best memories. So anyway, people haven't like, oh, I don't want to hear these. People wax poetic about moon stuff, cancer stuff. I want to, I want to hear about me. So, or they want to hear about what's happening. And I really like what you said in the meditation. I was, I was multitasking. I was being Gemini, Mercur- Mercurial. Mercury is setting, by the way. So it's like, um, Mercury right now setting in the sky. Okay. So when you were saying that, and the magician card came up, I was like, well, look at that. It's like very fitting. And um, yeah, it's like right on point. Mercury's in. Aries, and, uh, you know, he's a morning star, um, even though right now he is setting ahead of the sun. And what I'm thinking about is a couple things that stood out in your meditation, reflection points, and, you know, especially with this full moon, because that's what is happening. You know, it's reflecting the light of the, the sun. I mean, the moon is a very mystical, magical, you know, aspect of our being and our evolution on this planet. Because the moon doesn't give off any light of its own, even though we call it a planet. Right. It's reflective of light. And when we have a new moon, it's reflecting our Earth. It's reflecting us, right? Okay. Um, that's what's on the surface of it. Because right. it's between, you know, the Earth is between the sun and the moon. Whereas before, you know, the other time is, um, or we could say the moon is between the sun and the Earth. And... At that particular moment, like in the full moon, as we're about to have in a few few hours, we're we're receiving the light. But in this particular case, it is a it's a light dealing with Mars with Scorpio. Or yeah, okay, I'll say it just for you, Pluto. Although Ruby and I may have this debate while on this show about Pluto versus Mars, but we're not you know it's not that intense. Don't worry. No, I, I believe that Scorpio is ruled. I can see it in Mars now. Okay. Oh. I, I've, I've, I, it's not that I've completely come to the other side, but um, there, I understand. Okay, we're going to have a discussion about it one day. But, okay. Um, and I don't take that too seriously. I think it's just a point I make and a point that people can reject, right. that people can accept, whatever. And that's kind of what I've really kind of come more to with astrology. But getting back to the moon, and what's happening, it is a very powerful time, especially as we're going toward May Day, you mm-hmm. know, where we have to reflect on our relationship to the physical through the spiritual. Um, I do like the, the quote that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience rather than this preoccupation we have when ourselves is only physical. Um, because one of the things that Marxists as 
you know, distinct from that. I'm not going to say distinct from all creation because we're not, in that sense, we don't know, right? We like to have the arrogance of like, the, oh, like, we're not like the chimpanzees or like grasshoppers or, grasshoppers or guinea pigs or anything like that, right? Um, it's, it's what's really reflective of uh, the specialness that we, you know, consciousness has is consciousness itself. And so consciousness, you know, the, the stream of thoughts that flow through our minds really do mark us as spiritual, whether you want to talk about as the soul or God gave it to us or we go into other beings or other, you know, states or we, whatever, however you think about what happens afterwards, it's immaterial to what's happening to us now. And the moon in Scorpio, the full moon in Scorpio, is reflective of that. And like I said, there's a special holiday, I said on Twitter, there's a special holiday associated with this full moon called Vesak. Okay. And Vesak um, is just the fanciful name. And I learned it first from esoteric astrology. Esoteric astrology draws a lot on Tibetan philosophy and ideas. Okay. And so the idea is that the the Buddha um, not only achieved enlightenment supposedly on his birthday, but his birthday is the full moon, the full moon in Scorpio. Okay. And I think that matches, you know, whether we know literally the Buddha's birthday or not. Mm-hmm. You know, Socrates astrologer on Twitter today thinks maybe it was a month before in Aries and Libra. I think it matches with the full moon in Scorpio because the full moon in Scorpio is where we kind of have to have some non-attachment and reflective point back into consciousness. Whereas the, the sun in Taurus is very much about the embodied, deal with the physical world, right. deal with what's the tangible. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a key struggle for the Buddha. So I think what people mm-hmm. should take advantage of during this full moon is, is that reflective point of how they're dealing with material expression in a spiritual sense. And so, you know, I always like to be um, open. So one of the things I've been working on, I'll show you. I mean, I know your viewers can't see it, or not viewers, listeners. Um, so I designed for myself um, a little worksheet, a calendar of sorts, that, like my long-term goals using the, the idea of Saturn mm-hmm. over three years and then okay. a year for Jupiter. Okay. And then what's happening during this month, and then kind of what's happening during the week. Um, and of course, you see at the top it says Bismillah, and on the back is some kind of method I use in order to do projects, which starts off with the principal people involved, right? The action, the vectors, time and places, and then enigmas. What what are the unanswered questions or dilemmas that are posed so you oh. can start looking around about it? And so. It became That's very Capricorn and exactly and Capricorn. So it was, you know, I'm having a Mars return, and it's very earthy. So my oh, your Mars is in Capricorn. Yeah, at 23 degrees, actually, so it's oh, coming up on it. Okay. So, I mean, I'm using this full moon to think about actualizing right more of what I want to put in the world, and actualization. A lot of people focus on actualization as if it's the, this process of this vision boarding um, and meditating and affirmations. Mm-hmm. Those three things I just mentioned are important. Right. <clears throat> I am not knocking that at all. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of my practice. I do it in terms of prayer as well. But I think 
the the other aspect of it is concretely what actions can you take, will you take, mm -hmm. in a tangible expression of the world to make that happen. And the conduit between both is emotion, some emotional force. Right. <clears throat> I mean, scientists have been able to document where you have particular emotions is kind of where your, a lot of your energy is going to be directed. And that's because I've been reading a lot of things about neuroscience and um, that kind of idea. And really, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, you don't want to be rational, you know. I mean, you want to be rational. You don't want to deal with a lot of emotion. And they got it wrong. Because what happens, emotions is what give you, gives you focus and intention and even to know what to prioritize. When that part of the brain that deals with your emotional center mm -hmm. is adversely affected or damaged, mm -hmm. you don't know what's important. That's documented. So everything kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, but, you know, you should put on your socks before you put on your pants. Right. Right. Now, that's just a very basic example, but right. you don't know when to direct your energy to focus. So the moon in Scorpio at least gives you some emotional aspect which to direct your focus toward the material expression and to get, and to get rid of the detritus, the stuff that's unimportant and where you really need to kind of direct your energy rather than just being consumed by crisis. If you were born with a natal moon in Scorpio, for example, mm -hmm. it could be a lot of energy directed toward crises mm -hmm. and feeling like you have to, that's where you have to kind of manifest and direct your energy, not realizing that the moon in Scorpio isn't necessarily there just for you to manage all your crises, but to better equip you on how to help others manage their crises. Mm -hmm. So I often tell people who have strong markers in Scorpio, like the moon in Scorpio, this is where you need to direct your energy toward helping other people. So if they say to me, and this is the example I usually love to give, say you're a doctor. This is the person I tell, like, well, if you had this idea of just opening up a little quiet practice of being a family doctor or a country doctor, mm -hmm. that may not work for your moon in Scorpio. It needs to know where the fire is. Mm. It needs to know where the calamity is. You know? Right. So, you so emergency room, right. um, triage, mm -hmm. or, you know, doctors without borders or dealing with some underserved population where you can feel like you're more on the front line as a sign of Mars, as a sign of Pluto. It's a way in which you want to deal with the experience of depth, emotional depth and focus. So I, I went out there to hear, but yeah. I think I tied it together. Well, I wonder if that would be similar then, and not to just get off the topic, but or Jupiter and Scorpio would be a similar type of... I, all dimensions of Scorpio are going to prompt you to have to deal with lack of a better expression, darkness. Mm. And that's not to say, you know, for those sons and Scorpios out there, like, yo, is he saying I'm dark? Like, I'm evil? Yeah. Just so you know, I have a son in Scorpio too. <laughs> so, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying that Scorpios are dark. But one thing to contemplate, whether you're looking at it from a tropical seasonal sense mm -hmm. or you're looking at it from a sidereal sense, which is much more about Mars, mm -hmm. we can understand that Scorpio's more the reflective point, the feminine aspect of where Mars has its home. And what that means is much more emotional, much more internal responsive. Mm -hmm. But it's responsive in a very particular way. How does one respond to threats, danger? Mm -hmm. And so Scorpio becomes a reflective point of how one has to deal with internal strength, mm -hmm. right, 
in order to march and marshal defenses. Now, it doesn't have to be just about defensiveness, mm -hmm. but where one protects, mm -hmm. where one gives focus, when where one gives like dimensions of exploring depth in order to kind of, you know, um, be able to survive, you know, have force. In Aries, we find the active expression of that. In Scorpio, there's more of a quote-unquote passive way in which one has to do with that. So when Jupiter is in that sign, and Jupiter, his natural energy is quote-unquote masculine and much more expressive. Mm -hmm. So when he's in Scorpio, there is a kind of pulling back. So I, I like to think of Jupiter and Scorpio as like where you're finding the pathway out of the dark, right? Um, and more so to broaden horizons in darker spaces. So sometimes finding dark humor <laughs> um, or finding the humor in dark spaces. Right. One example I like to give of the Jupiter and Scorpio by natal, our natal chart, is Lucille Ball, who had it. Mm -hmm. And if you really, you know, if you look at I Love Lucy even, and you look at other, you know, serials by Lucy, and then you think about her life, Lucy was in a dark spot, you know, and people don't recognize that because they're always laughing. And I think she was an immensely funny woman. She was a son in Leo with Jupiter and Scorpio and what in that moon and Capricorn. And what's really funny about Lucy, um, it, well, I'll say what's not funny. What's not funny about Lucy is here we have a housewife who wants to have as much shine as her husband, but her husband won't let her. Basically has her caged mm -hmm. in that sense of like, this is your prescribed place, mm -hmm. you know, even though I'm, you know, a, a talented artist myself and you may have your own eccentric sensibilities, this is really your corner. Mm -hmm. But she found humor in that. That also kind of went concomitant with some aspect of her life story, you know, because she also had some trouble with Desiodinus, right? Mm -hmm. That was kind of the issue with him. Um, and then she was the first woman who became a producer, you know, of the scale that, you know, in terms of a Hollywood studio. Mm -hmm. So the lesson we learn from even just observing her life about Jupiter and Scorpio is how we take where we have a deficit, an emotional deficit, and broaden it and be able to give it to more people, um, whether that's through humor, whether that's through storytelling, whether that's through opening consciousness and exposing people to different things. That's one of the lessons we can learn about Jupiter and Scorpio. So I think you're also making another point that this is, you know, this full moon is going to be the only full moon we're going to have where the moon is going to be in the same sign mm -hmm. um, as where Jupiter is this year. Right. Um, next year, when Jupiter is in Sagittarius, we're going to have a different position. Jupiter is going to be at home um, in his sign, and that will be a different ball game. But this year, this is where we kind of have to be dealing with the focus, drawing in the light in order to kind of bring more light, to surface our light from dark spaces. That's powerful, I mean, because Chiron just went into Aries. And even though I'm not, uh, you know, a, a consistent user, excuse me, of Chiron, I think there's a lot to be said about Chiron. I'll just say this, and then, you know, I don't know if there are questions or whatever, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I studied Tarot. I, st I started off as a numerologist. And I do look at Chiron, I look at Lilith. Mm -hmm. I talk about, or I strive to talk about more what I know 
like from the inside out where I have like a grappling hook. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to talk consistently about Chiron, mm-hmm. but I pay attention to everything. Right. So Chiron, I think, is significant. I just think that there's a lot of things that people haven't taken the time to really absorb, mm-hmm. you know, these ideas. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they've thought somewhat about what they're saying. My example would be like when people say, well, Chiron's a wounded healer, right? What does that really mean? Right. So, I mean, because I could argue and I have that the whole chart reflects some dimensions of where we experience wounds. Right. right. I mean, the whole chart. The whole, the whole chart can be that. But I think Chiron, just like any particular planet, must be relevant to a particular way in which we experience the wound or a wound. And when I say a wound, a particular kind of wounding, because Venus can be dealing with the wounding of how we deal with our attractions. Right. Saturn deals with how we deal with structure. Right. Mars can be dealing with how we assert our energy or our anger, right? right? I think Chiron, and especially in Aries, deals with how we experience experience futility, um, how we deal with, it's kind of used for those Star Trek people out there, no-win scenarios. Like when you're faced with a no-win scenario, what? how do you encounter that? Right. You know, so futility is kind of when you know, it's a test of character because it's not so much about, like, there's a guarantee that you will get through it, but who are you when you kind of face with that particular moment and there's no guarantee and you have to, you do it anyway. Right. Um, and I think that's how we, because, like, when there was nothing you could have done, but you still felt like you had to do that. You know, like, Chiron still, for instance, was a healer despite the fact that he couldn't heal himself. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that was his wound, right? That's both psychologically and literally. Because mm-hmm. easily his ego, his psyche could have told him, like, what you doing? You can't help these people. You can't even help yourself. Why are you going to try to help these people? You can't help yourself. Right. You know, just, like, go off and enjoy your life. Right, let it go. Let it go, right? But he kept going with that point of futility because mm-hmm. that's who he was. And that became, like, his, his genius. And that's what, you know, what this, what Chiron can better signify. That's how I found it. And Rob Hand, who has written so many books on astrology, mm-hmm. he's of a similar mind. I've talked with him about it because he's actually in his new book, Planets in Transit, he's going to talk about Chiron. Chiron? Yeah. I always feel like Chiron is a place where you want to throw in the towel first. Yeah. It's like, it's the, it's, it's, it's not, I don't want to say the most tender spot because like you said, the natal chart speaks to all of our tenderness, all of our, um, all of the points that are going to provide, um, are going to need more energy than others to resolve. Correct. So, but Chiron is, is just, uh, when, when it comes to that, you would just rather not even deal with it. And so I think, um, I can only speak. Because my only understanding comes from my chart myself. So who's your Chiron? In the eleventh. What? But what sign? Taurus. Taurus. Okay. And so I mean, it, it relates to this whole. You know, there's um, my mom was a Taurus. There's significant people in my life who've come into my life who are Tauruses. But it, really, because it's in the eleventh, it speaks to a part of me that would rather just like not deal with you and just do it myself, mm-hmm. which sort of, again, speaks to the single motherhood, um, motherhoodness of me and and my development in creating community and 
and committing to community even through those times where it feels like I don't know what to say or I don't know how to get people to do what I want them to do. Right. So I'd rather just let them go. And so it's um, you can understand your chiron because it will come up a lot of times. It, I mean, there's there's of course life always has cycles and stuff like that, but it will seem like a, a it seems like an issue that you have to. I don't know. There's this like pressing point to you have to work through it to get to the other side. That's right. So. Um, and there's no guarantee once you get to the other side that it'll look like what you want it to look like. So. Right. That you'll be. Um, I don't know. Was the word done? I don't. I don't think. Not even done. done, but feeling accomplished or whole. Or you know. whole, or <clears throat> like you're able to, like you're successful in that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> like if I ever become a community, and that's why it's interesting with this whole community radio show, I think that's also a way of dealing with um, the Chiron in the 11th house and really having, not this, but building community, but not building community, I, I, I guess it challenges you also to get creative, mm-hmm. not building community in the way that you think that what community looks like or what you think that, um, let's say it's in your fourth house, what you think your home should look like, building, because it's probably not going to look like, it's not going to be a symbol of what is no, normal or considered status quo in our society right now. You're going to have to use some creativity to resolve that that wound there. So Chiron and Aries will, how do you resolve you? I don't know. Well, where it's going to be in your chart. So for right. me, it means my second house, and that means for you, it might be in your tent. It will be in your tent. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, it's it's all going to be about how it connects. I mean, I just had a, a Chiron return because I was born with Chiron and Pisces. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was dealing with my the yeah, sense of identity, myself, you know, because Pisces is my first house. Oh, Pisces is your first house. So oh, we're kind okay. of dealing with healing my, you know, body, my sense of self. Mm-hmm. And that has been going well. <laughs> Good. Good. So you, success. And I'm sure it came Well, it's an ongoing process, ongoing right? Because Chiron doesn't give you the guarantee of finality. Otherwise, you wouldn't be dealing with futility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, so the discussion for 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 this evening, um, <clears throat> and the Jupiter, um, I just think that the the full moon in Jupiter, um, with this, and it's almost conjoined, isn't it? Jupiter and um, Scorpio and Jupiter, Jupiter and Scorpio, the full moon. I don't know if they're conjoined. both conjoined. Let me just look right here. I mean, the moon I, moves so fast. I always feel it, like it's going it's, toward yeah. a conjunction. The actual full moon is nine degrees of Scorpio. And Jupiter is at 19. 19 so they're okay. 10 degrees, right? I mean, they're close enough. They're close enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you look up in the sky, when those two rise um, sometime later tonight, you know, after, for those daylight savings time in, in the eastern seaboard, um, we're going to see that, and we're going to see the moon and Jupiter pretty close in there. In the sky. In the yeah, they said over the next three days it'll get yeah. even closer. Yeah, and closer we'll see and you'll them. be able to see it really bright. Yeah, it'll be bright. Yeah, and so it's just a, a very good <clears throat> time to reflect on your chart. Um, it, the natal chart is always a funny, well, I, I don't want to say funny thing, but it's a 
it's a process. When you first look at your natal chart, it might look like scribble. It might look like so complicated you can't begin to understand or digest digest it. Sorry, that's my guinea pig. Um, mm-hmm. It might. They're look, green. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> well, they're little. They're mm-hmm. special beings themselves. So, mm-hmm. and the but the three points. Let's try to. We're going to try to bring us to focus on the three points of the chart that. Maybe you should look at first or the things that will clue oh, sure, you in definitely. to these are the three things. So the the sun, the moon, and the rising. Well, let's talk about what they are first because, okay. you know, for the person not exposed consistently to astrology, it's kind of a big thing because most times people think they're only their sun sign. So most people know their sun sign, which means that, during the course of the year, the sun is traveling through particular signs, the mm-hmm. tropical zodiac. And most of us know the tropical zodiac, which is kind of going more by the seasons and by the tropic of Cancer and Capricorn, which is what we use. So if you've always wondered when you were in school, what's the point of that tropic of Cancer and Capricorn? It's related to, like, how we experience the seasons and thus the zodiac. <laughs> um, the thing to, to know is that the sun, in terms of being in a particular position, depends on the day you were born. So if you were born, let's pick on a particular date, like May 21st, May 22nd, since we're going into May. On that particular day, um, the sun either could be in, in Taurus or Gemini. It depends on the time you were born. So the sun um, goes kind of more by the month and the day. The moon is the next scale by which we can understand ourselves. And I'm going to go back and even do this on a, on a much more telescopic, not even telescopic, microscopic level. So don't worry, I'm going to loop back in terms of understanding and give you an analogy by which to understand sun, moon, and rising sun. But the moon changes sign roughly every two and a half days. So the moon gives us an even greater level of focus on understanding more of who you are. Okay. So there's not a high probability that someone who's even born with your sun sign during a particular year is going to have the same moon sign um, even if you're born on the same day. Mm-hmm. So the moon becomes another locus by which to understand more of yourself, and that's even more important. Then even more individualized to the actual moment to which you were born is the rising sign. And the rising sign literally means what sign was coming above the horizon when you were born. So to make that concrete, let's say you were born today at dawn or someone was born today at dawn, then they would be a Taurus rising because the sun is in the sign of Taurus, and it's coming above the horizon mm-hmm. when you're born. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's Taurus rising. Some two hours later, roughly, then it's likely it's going to be Gemini rising. Then two hours after that, it's going to be Cancer rising and so forth. So if you were born near dusk, like let's say we'll pick today, then let's say around 7, 8 o'clock, you're going to be um, in terms of Scorpio rising, the mm-hmm. opposite sign, because mm-hmm. the sun is in the opposite position. Okay, 
So these are ways in which, depending on the time you were born, we can come up with different levels of understanding who you are. Let's synthesize them. The analogy I like to give is imagine that you have to go to the store to get some milk mm-hmm. or Pampers or Lucy's, whatever you need to get, right? Whatever. Know, whatever. The sun is reflective of a particular intention. See, I came back to bed side, so I'm thinking about Lucy's. Lucy's. I, I know. Mhm. They're all for the Lucy's. They like they like Lucy's. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a Dutch masters. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> My um, get down. So, the sun refl- it reflects a particular intention that you have, and you have an intention to get something from the storehouse of life. Okay. There's something that you want to experience. So the way by which you're going to do it is through, is through this particular sign, which has a supervisor, which has a planet that's in charge of it. So Scorpio deals with Mars. It's more modern is Pluto. Sagittarius deals with Jupiter. And I might as well do this now, so I don't know why I started with Scorpio, so I'll keep going. Um, Saturn deals, I mean, Capricorn deals with Saturn. Um, Aquarius deals also with Saturn. That's his day house, but moderns also associate this with Uranus. Um, and then Pisces deals with Jupiter, again, but moderns also look at this in terms of Neptune. Aries deals with Mars. Taurus deals with Venus or has Venus as a supervisor. Gemini deals with Mercury as a supervisor. Cancer deals with the moon as a supervisor. And Leo deals with the sun only as a supervisor. And then we have Virgo as Mercury. And then we have Libra as Venus as the supervisor. And that's all 12. Mm -hmm. So we come to understand our particular mission or intention, some aspect of that through the sun attempting to express itself through a particular sign, colored by the expression in relationship to that planet. That's one. But most people know, well, I'm a sun in Scorpio, or I'm a sun in Cancer. And they understand, you know, some of the associations with Scorpio and with cancer. But remember, that's just a big picture. You wanted to go to the store to get water. Okay, that's the big intention. But the moon is the vehicle by which you get to the store. Mm -hmm. It relates to more your intimate experience, Mm -hmm. your day-to-day experience of making the journey. And it's a lot more um, immediate to you once you're in your vehicle, let's say, whether that's a bike or a car usually, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're in your car, something interesting can happen. You can drive, get to the store for that purpose that you have, and forget why you were there. This happens all the time, right? right? So this is why when people kind of focus so much on the sun, right? Like, well, the sun is kind of more your embedded intention, right? But the real way in which you're going to navigate through the world is more often going to be through your moon. And more often than not, you're going to give a lot more attention to your vehicle and the experience of your vehicle when you're in your car than necessarily about the store. The store is just kind of the overall intention. Right. The the target. You've got to get there. Right. So that's one thing to keep in mind. I like to think of the moon also, especially since moving to New York and not having a car and walking everywhere. The moon is like the temperature outside. Yeah. So it's like what layers are you going to need to wear? How, like, 
what is it going to feel like? Like that's a great one. Is the journey going to be pleasant? <laughs> like, is the walk to the store going to be nice? What or shoes, I, one thing I've been dealing with is like, what shoes am I going to wear? You know, like. Um. So, your more intimate sense of encountering the world, the vehicle by which you're going to encounter the world, that's your moon experience. Mm-hmm. It also relates to the first vehicle you had before you actually incarnated, right? Whatever level of incarnation you want to greet that as. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of your incarnation, that happened through a woman, mm-hmm. right? So, the moon also represents your mother. So oh, you're, you're oh, okay. So the moon also can give us a story about how you deal with that first encounter, mm-hmm. you know, first your, vehicle. and your first vehicle, right? Because as you were growing your vehicle, it had to be through another vehicle. Right. And so that's why the moon also symbolizes the mother um, in astrology. Now, the route by which you get to the store, whether you flip a Yui or you go around the corner or you go around the city, or you go around the world, mm-hmm. what you're paying attention to, what's important for you. When I say important, so let's say, yeah, you have the intention to go to the store. And this used to happen to me when I used to live here in Bed-Stuy. So there were two pathways I could go to the A train, for example. Mm-hmm. One was when I was just trying to get there fast as possible, and I didn't want to see anybody. Right, and I just wanted to not be distracted to get there. Mm-hmm. Then the other route was when I wanted to be a little more distracted or a lot distracted, and I wanted to be seen. Like, you know, I want people to check out my outfit, <laughs> you know, and you know, to be seen and whatever. Okay. You know, I want to floss some. Right. That is reflective of the experience of your rising sign, right? So the ascendant gives us the overarching narrative of how you're making the journey, mm-hmm. not what you're getting to do. Not the vehicle and the day-to-day experience of it, but the overarching aspect of the story. So the other example I like to give is, I could say boy meets girl, mm-hmm. right? That really is just like a sun thing. It's like the seed of the story. Then in terms of the vehicle, I might say, okay, I'm doing this as a play, okay, to, get, to create a certain kind of experience. And the moon does relate to your emotional experience, how it taps in. But the way in which we tell the story, there's a fancy word for this, um, from, from you know, storytelling called the fabula. I like that, right? Almost all it sounds oh, yeah. fabulous, right? Yeah. Um, the fabula, the way in which you tell the story, mm-hmm. that's the rising sign. So it's one thing to have boy meets girl. It's another thing to say boy meets girl, boy is vampire, and girls in high school, which is kind of the story of that crazy story of um, Twilight. Right. And I mean, you know, if you read those stories, you know, I'm not judging you. I just think it's a bit weird to have this grown-ass ancient vampire interested in a teenage girl. I mean, I'm 50, and I don't understand, you know, I'm putting myself out there. You know, I don't even know what can happen between me romantically. I'm married, too, but but I can't imagine what would be happening between me and a 25-year-old, much less, like, dealing with, like, a teenager. I mean, like, that's weird, but that's the story. And that would be, like, the rising sign, how we get the arc. Right. Um. And that's, that becomes most important in individual life. Right. That's why when astrology kind of themes for your time and your place, right. that can only be dictated by where the actual horizon is. Because the horizon, contrary to what flat earth people say, right, the horizon depends on where you are on earth, mm-hmm. which is dependent on altitude, which is dependent on latitude and longitude. Mm-hmm. 
all those things kind of condition what's rising, what's setting in the heavens. So what's happening right now in California mm-hmm. is not the same as what's happening here in New York. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have, perforce, the same rising signs. Because, so for instance, you know, this is just a simple experiment. I could be on the same latitude here um, as someone out in California, and, you know, the, the key issue is it won't be, you know, dawn out in California, but it could be dawn here. That's going to be a different chart. So that's why, and when I say a different chart, that's going to be a different rising sign and where the planets line up. Could even be a different moon. Right. It could be a different moon. Yeah. So what people have to understand is that it really does depend on the time. And so those three elements come together to give an astrologer or some students of astrology a picture mm-hmm. of how a snapshot of your life purpose. So I often can look at the sun, moon, rising, even in the first 10 minutes of a reading, and tell a person, this is kind of what you're seeking to manifest within your life. So, for example, I can pick on myself because that's the easiest kind of thing to use just to kind of disclose some aspects of my chart. I'm a sun in Scorpio, Pisces rising, which means Pisces on the ascendant coming up, and I'm a moon in Leo. Now, it depends on the house system you use, but in most house systems, my moon ends up in the sixth house, my sun ends up in the ninth house, and Pisces rising means it's just on the eastern horizon. Mm Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? It means a couple things. It means that I tend to look at Jupiter as a supervisor, as the, the key point of understanding the storytelling, you know, the, the way in which I'm navigating to get to the store to get the milk or whatever I'm trying to get. Mm-hmm. What am I trying to get? Well, I'm a sun in Scorpio. So the sun in Scorpio is seeking depth. And I mentioned earlier about defensiveness and kind of being able to look at how the world impacts me. Mm-hmm. So early on... I was very much, you know, if, if someone wanted to kind of like, well, what's kind of like the markers of your, of your life? Well, I had, a, I had a, a lot of mystical, weird encounters early in my life. Mm-hmm. Not just from, like, the push to survive, because I was born with spina bifida. So early on, I had, you know, just in the first nine years of my life, I had about 20 surgeries just to be able to survive. So... The idea of facing death and dealing with the idea of not being here was something that was said to me very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, from my mother, you know, how doctors treated me, spent a lot of time in the hospital. So the experience of dealing with the depth of life and having to fight in some sense for my life was something I did learn early on, those Mars lessons. But in the ninth house, it's going to be conditioned more toward the interest of the ninth house, which is going to be about learning and um, higher mind, mm-hmm. spirituality, mm-hmm. philosophy. So that's how I came to ultimately approach it. So by the time I'm 12 years old, I was in the ministry. Mm-hmm. So I had always a philosophical, imaginative bent too. And I, when I say I had weird experiences, you know, from meeting my grandmother in my bedroom, although she had been dead already for 30 years, or some, I'm sorry, more than that, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a whole different thing because the woman who I thought was my grandmother was not my grandmother, right? So, and I described this woman who came to visit me 
and my mom freaked out. And I never even oh, thought of Oh, so you person. didn't even have the understanding of who she was? No, none. Okay. I just said, this woman came. She was dressed like you, but she didn't look like you. She was light-skinned with lighter eyes, blah, blah, blah. I described it to a T. Right. And my mother said, when you're older, I'll explain who that was to you. I was like, I want to know now. She didn't. She was wise. When my grandmother died, she showed me the picture and she said, is this the woman who came to you? And I had never seen it before. Right. I was like, yeah, that's her. That's my mother. And I was like, oh. So that kind of mystical, my son can join Neptune. Okay. So dealing with those mystical, strange. Oh, so your son can join Neptune in your ninth house. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, when people look at that, like, you were born to be in astrology, yeah, like this kind of. Um, um, yeah, so that's one way. Now, the moon in the sixth house is is more so interested in more the day-to-day aspect, the routines, um, but also kind of wanting to work autonomously, mm-hmm. um, having some sense of authority that is of your own. So it was very hard for me to work with other people. And that, and that what I'm about to say, I'm not saying with some measure of pride or denigrating anybody else's um, life choices, but I've only had one full-time job in my life, mm-hmm. right? And I'll never forget something Alan Oaken, an astrologer, said to me when he read my chart. Um, he said, uh, I said, you know, it's like, well, it would be very hard for you to work a nine-to-five job. You know, and I, in typical Scorpio behavior, when I get readings, I'm stone-faced, mm-hmm. right? Because I just want to hear what you have to say. And I am a skeptic. Right. which we'll get to in a second. But when he said that, I was just looking and I was like, um, yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like working 9 to 5. And he said, yeah, and they didn't like you either, right? And I was like, I said, that was accurate. So the moon in, you know, where you find the moon in your chart is often where you experience vagaries, meaning changes, mm-hmm. um, kind of where it's kind of hard to, not just focus, but get it to, to quiet down and have like, still and less fluid where you mm. want it more fixed. So dealing with the sixth house and the, the vagaries of health mm-hmm. and all those particular things that are associated with the routines, as, the routine aspects of life, that's one focus of the moon in the sixth house for me. Now the rising sign, again, I told you that's how the story arcs. Mm-hmm. Why my son ends up in the ninth, for example, with my son in Scorpio. Um, why the moon ends up in the sixth. As versus, say, if I had been in Aries rising, it would be in the fifth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Jupiter is in the opposite sign to where it rules, um, where it rules Pisces. So my Jupiter ends up in the seventh house in Virgo. Okay. And Jupiter in Virgo is out of his home. And out of his home means that he doesn't have as much easy access to his things or his natural sense of authority. So the Jupiter in Virgo signifies for me a way in which I am critical and looking outwardly at my home, which is my Pisces rising. And how that manifests and how it manifests for me is coming from a very skeptical point of view. Um, people misperceiving me in terms of, you know, what I can do and what I can't do. I think it does describe some aspect of my natural physical self. So I'm short. I'm extraordinarily short for a man. So I think the Jupiter in Virgo also testifies to that sense of myself. Um, If you are more modern, one thing that is interesting with the Sun-Neptune conjunction, and again, 
you know, we I don't know if we'll get have time. I won't get into why I only and mainly use natural rulers, meaning, just to be clear, I use the traditional rulers. And only using the traditional rulers, um, that would be Jupiter. But if you're more modern, and I would use Neptune, the way I could look at the Jupiter-Neptune connection is that I also was very naive and gullible when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um not to everything and everybody, but, you know, so I, you know, literally believed the devil was going to get me because I, you know, used to see that. I saw the exorcist. It freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became much more about, wow, all these things are death. You know, all these things are out there that could come for me. Now, remember what I said earlier about the Scorpio experience is kind of thinking about the impact of the world coming to get you. Mm-hmm. And then I had a natural penchant for belief. As I got older, I came to believe in those things less and less and less to the point where, like, I don't believe it's shit, right? Right. So what really is kind of my arc is kind of dealing with the lessons of faith and belief, but having a stronger sense of belief, a stronger sense of faith. I am not as faithful about the idea of God as person, for example, even mm-hmm. though I'm a practicing Muslim, as much as faith in in the all. When I say all, that which is beyond our understanding. I don't even pretend to try to think I can understand what God is. Mm-hmm. Or or the idea that we can say, well, you know, God is looking at you. I, I don't know literally what you're talking about, and I'm not convinced you, you do either, right? And I'm not saying you, but whoever says that. Right. And I think <clears throat> that we can fully embrace the concept of God. Correct. When we don't, you yeah. Know. I say I say that God is the sum total of all we know and what we don't know, right? Um, so it 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 it's a whole different sense. When I you know I encountered and I went through atheism by the way right. as well. So atheism was part of my journey, which is also a Jupiter and Virgo aspect in the narrative and the Sun in the ninth house. So I think atheism really prepped me to have a better sense of faith. Mm -hmm. And that didn't mean that I went back to just a simple theism. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, even my wife argues that you're probably still more of an atheist. But I I would more so say that I believe that there is something even beyond our sense of existence, right? And I think if that's God, great. I just don't know how to describe that, what that is. So I don't even try. So that's, that, that was an illumination using my chart right. of looking at the sun, moon, and rising. So for someone else, let's say like a sun in Libra mm-hmm. with a moon in Aries and cap rising, right? Um, they're a full moon baby dealing with a dynamic that kind of puts them on edge and at odds with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Why do I say it that way? Well, because they're a full moon, baby, sun, opposite to moon. And the other thing that's interesting is there, it's three out of the four signs that we used to start talking about called cardinal signs that start seasons. Mm-hmm. So the nature of cardinality is action-oriented. So when someone is triple cardinal, for instance, they, they have a strong need for action and to make things happen and also go through many different shifts. Right. You know, it's kind of like 
you know, I, if I were joking with them, this would really just be as a joke. You have to know these people well to be able to make that joke, right? You know, if you kind of see them five years later, what are you doing now? You should say, like, what are you doing now? Because something has shifted. Right. Right. Um, and they they do drive on some measure of action and wanting to do things because that's the nature of cardinality. They usually are sharp people, right? right. Not just sharp in manner, but also sharp in terms of intellect as well because they're dealing with the the, um, the sharpness of the cardinal energy. So that's just even like the, the key idea. And we were, you know, if you said to a Capricorn rising with a sun moon opposition, Libra, Aries, moon opposition, you know, like, well, you know, perhaps you should be content with, like, you know, just having a good job and going along. That's crazy. Right. Because you're talking about someone who has a full moon along an axis, what we call the 10th and 4th house. So they're dealing with the dynamic of how to manifest what happens in terms of a sense of home and belonging in the outer world. So they kind of want to have executive ability and have a sense of, you know, the dynamism of feeling comfortable in their own skin and at home. So it's almost like having it all, you know, in terms of having the partner, having the sense of dynamic ambition in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all those things. And then that refine that we have to look at where the Venus is, the planet that supervises Libra. Right. Where the Mars is, that's the planet that supervises Moon, mm-hmm. and then Saturn is a planet that supervises and looks over Capricorn. Okay. So, but how would you recommend, so if people are looking, again, they're looking at their charts, they're looking at these three points that you mentioned, so now they have the idea and the concept of how they they interact with each other, the the sun, the moon, and the rising. And how, how would you go about, I guess, dissecting that for yourself or or bringing that into understanding for yourself. Oh, and we only have actually 11, 11 minutes? minutes? That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? This is what always happens. We got into this time warp. Now we're 11 minutes left. Do we um, have questions? Do people... No, there's nobody else. Okay. People are listening, but nobody called in okay. to ask That's a cool. question. That's Did always you tell them different. the number? I told them the number. Um, I will tell them the the call in number is nine one four three three eight zero six nine five. Again, that's nine one four three three eight zero six nine five. And this is that's actually sort of the number that they have to use to, yeah. That you can also listen in on that number or call in. Okay, cool. But um. Well, you were about to ask another question, sorry. No, I'm. I was just wondering, like, so as they get, they understand these three points. Is sure. there a way that and I guess I'm trying to get to the point of should they be looking at these these energies? You talked about cardinal. Should we look at cardinal, mutable, or fixed, or is it more and see how they play together because there's there's signs that are more friendly, or should we look at the um, if they're fire, water, um, earth, or air? Yeah, what I hear you asking is should they be looking at things by modality, which is a cardinal, mutable, or fixed. Okay. Or be looking at it by element. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they should be looking at it by planet and planetary ruler of sign. And let me tell you why. Okay. There's something I call sinology, mm-hmm. right? And there's something called generally astrology. Most of what we do, even when I do it on Twitter, I consciously know I'm doing it. It's called sinology. What's the difference? Sinology 
is using all the common associations that we have with signs. Mm-hmm. Um, so Pisces, oh, we think wishy-washy. We think, you know, kind of gullible. We think kind of lost in the ether. Um, we think all these particular emotional, mm-hmm. you know, drunk, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All those things become the common associations we have for, mm-hmm. for Pisces. I always like to say, let's start with the Pisces rising, like in my chart, for example. I would say, look where the Jupiter is. Because the Jupiter, if it's in Virgo, will give you, or if it's in Leo, mm-hmm. or if it's in mm-hmm. wherever, that will give you a better understanding of how this person is experiencing the Pisces rising, okay. for example. Or Cancer rising. You mm-hmm. look at the condition of the moon. Mm-hmm. And because when you get into sinology, you're likely to miss things because some of the, the meanings that we've assigned to the signs really are part like someone's hurt, butthurt feelings. Right, um, definitely. Part, um, you know, conjecture about like even new rulerships, for example. Mm-hmm. Like people love to say like Aquarius. Like if you were Aquarius rising or sun in Aquarius. Oh, you're really a rebel because, you know, Uranus is a rebel, right? Whereas it's like, well, no, actually, I, I voted for Bush twice, um, and I don't really talk about anything, you know, that controversial. Right. Oh, well. And that, and that can be Aquarius. Why? Because that's also a sign of Saturn. Right. And you have to also look at where that Saturn is. So if the Saturn's in Capricorn, like Obama was Aquarius rising. You know, so I believe his Saturn was in Capricorn, right? So for him, he was kind of like, no, I'm going to be a respectable Negro, and uh, I want you to like me, and uh, um, I'm going to be about presenting myself in a way that is uh, for the American people. Um, I, sorry, Obama. Is that your Obama impression? Yeah, I was like, right? Yeah, I was trying. Um, so... But he manifested that through the prism of his ruler. Right. Now, people are like, well, where's the, the Leo? Well, he's the son in Leo, and the son has natural authority and power in Leo. Mm-hmm. So one thing, like picking on Obama's chart, he had the son in the seventh house. So the natural sense of, of shine and charisma and, and power comes through, you know? Mm-hmm. So even though he had a conservative sensibility, mm-hmm. his effervescence and, and warmth, you know, especially some of his better moments would come through. Mm-hmm. Where Obama necessarily didn't didn't convey as much of that warmth is like sometimes when he was thinking through something, which is the moon in Gemini, right? So he's thinking through the Mercury lens. Mm-hmm. Now you can think about your own prism, like Scientology, moon in Gemini. Oh, that's too, he's two-faced. People were thinking about that moon in Gemini and like, oh, you know, was he born in this country? Where's he from? Oh, he's well, he's just as white as he is black, mm-hmm. you know? The duality, mm. right? And mm-hmm. I think about, well, where's his Mercury? Mm-hmm. And what can that tell us about? And where is his Mercury? I'm trying to remember. I want to say his Mercury is in Leo, but I'm not absolutely certain of that. I have to look that up. But, yeah. Wow. Did it go to five minutes? I think it's like lobbing off time. They're cheating us. It's cheating. But, yeah. So, just to wrap that up, when you're looking at your chart and you want to figure out more about those three legs. Mm-hmm. You want to look at the sign and the sign will direct you toward the ruler. It will direct you toward the supervisor. 
then you kind of start looking up things related to the rulers. So if you have a Gemini rising mm-hmm. and your Mercury's in Taurus, yeah, I can talk you through this. You can look it up on Google, Mercury in Taurus, right? Mm-hmm. And that will come up with some meanings. Now, really, what I'm hearing is Mercury in Venus sign, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to see the dynamic of Venus. Kind of, that's how you get the color of the chart. Mm-hmm. But we'll start off simple. Look up Mercury in Taurus. Then you can also look up what aspects does Mercury have. Where is it in your chart? A Mercury in Taurus for a Gemini rising means it's in the 12th house. So, you know, like, oh, you're Gemini rising. Oh, you probably talk a lot, blah, blah. No, the Mercury in Taurus in the 12th house. Mm-hmm. Probably is not necessarily going to talk a lot. But not openly. But it's like, you know, you go to the house, like, oh, you got like two cells of notebooks there. Yeah, those are my notebooks, you know, where they write copious notes and thoughts and journals, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot more they might keep to themselves. Or like, wait, you're, you, you write fiction under a pseudonym? Yeah, nobody knows. So they might live out the 12th house experience of that Gemini rising mm-hmm. in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. So that's how you might go through, look at the rising. Let's say you have the sun. Um, let's say your sun is in Aries. So the sun is in Aries in the 11th house for that chart, Gemini rising. So then we look at Mars and what Mars is doing in that chart and what that might be the expression of Aries. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing to kind of take into account the next layer after we've been doing signs are houses themselves. So the sun in the 11th house is going to have an interest in 11th house things. What are 11th house things? Mm. 11th house things are going to be in terms of groups, mm-hmm. friends, mm-hmm. the idea of you know collegiality, mm-hmm. community, community, social service, right? Um, other people's children. I think is that would you say that house is the house of local politicians? It can be, but it, it, it's anything that gears you toward the interest of you know connecting with others. Okay. Um, in some sense that it's not about family or intimacy. Okay. Or romantic, right? Romantic, yeah. So I'm not going to say all politicians have an active 11th house. Right. Um, Probably many do, Mm -hmm. but I I don't think that's the prerequisite because it might manifest as activists. And an activist is not a politician. Right. So that could be it. In fact, I know... And that's kind of getting into politics, and I don't know if we have enough time for that, but I think some politicians, I'll give me an example. I wonder if Bernie has worked best as a politician when I think he really wants to be an activist. Oh, good point. Right? I wonder what his chart looks like. We don't have his birth time. I don't, okay. think that, I don't think that has been documented. I mean, I know he's a Virgo. I don't know if his birth time was found, but that was kind of a, a big question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it might give him a lot more freedom also to be who he he voice all of the needs that he has and really the the true picture of what he has without the confinement of our current political system. And to be a you know a, a president, um, is to be a politician, and it doesn't allow for as much activism. To be any kind of Politician, you know the nature of politics is uh, word. Yeah. Um, the nature of a politician is is compromise. Uh, 
if people want more, because I have been talking a lot, um, yeah. you know, there are a couple ways to find me. You can find me at unlockastrology, all one word, dot com, or unlockastrology at gmail.com. Um, you can also call me, even though I um, probably could voicemail. Uh, that's 484-727-8277. And then I'll follow him on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter on S at yeah, I guess the main account is S F as in Fred Reynolds. Yeah. Um, even though if you don't want all my political and other stuff and stuff, um unlock astrology is the at reply on Twitter as well. Yeah. But definitely, um thank you so much for being here, Sam. Yeah, this is now. magical how like <laughs> two hours went like yeah, away. It went away. Um, Sam definitely brought the Scorpio fire. Um, my sage was burning and burning. It was actually oh. rising into flames yeah. over there. Yeah. Like I had to move it to another room. So Scorpio is definitely about the fire, and Sam is about proving that with every step that. <laughs> so thank you for the community. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here today. Um, we are um, I'm very humbled to have this experience and opportunity um, to be here with you. And until next time, until next week um, on May 6th, I will see you then. Uh, until then, have a wonderful week. Um, sit, reflect, and um, always be patient with yourself and with others. Just for